Welcome to the Managed Tools Podcast for Monday, January 22nd, 2007. Open Door Policies. Hi, this is Mike, and as always, welcome back. This week, in our never-ending quest to root out the best practices in management, Mark and I discussed the open-door policy. One quick announcement before we go on, though. If you've been to our website in the last week, you know about this. But if not, Mark and I are hosting a Manager Tools meetup in the Northern Virginia area this coming Tuesday, the 23rd. If you're nearby and want to attend, please check out the website or drop us an email at show at manager-tools.com and let us know you're coming. This is our second such event, and Mark and I are excited about the chance to meet with more of our listeners. Pizza's on us, so be sure to attend if you can. All right, forgetting about pizza for now, what about open-door policies? Well, most likely, you've heard of open-door policies. It's also possible your company has one and you don't even know about it. And even if you do know about it, do you know what it means? That is to say, do you know what your responsibilities are relative to the policy? Do you know what to do when someone requests an open-door meeting? Well, we often hear from frontline managers, well, I don't need to worry about that. It only applies to my bosses for when my people go around me to them. Well, we're not sure what is more dumb about this point of view, suggesting your employees are going around you, or indicating that you're somehow not involved or don't have responsibility. Now, if you don't have an open-door policy, you need one. If you have one, you need to know how to use it well. And maybe HR is not the place to learn how. Listen in, and we'll talk you through it. I remember learning about the Army's open-door policy about 25 years ago and thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> This could, I mean, this could be really bad news if, you know, if I happen to mess up and one of my subordinates goes to my boss. That didn't make me feel terribly comfortable. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I remember thinking, oh, this is how they, this is how they keep track of um, lieutenants. And, and I think, for the most part, I, I think you'd agree, based on your experience, that most new or younger managers think that way as well. And in, in general, I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, it reminds the manager... Uh, that their role is not a fiat of power over other people, uh, that management is not power. It's not about power. It's about responsibility. Yeah, well, I gather that most large corporations do have some sort of open-door policy, but um, smaller ones don't do that as much? Um, you know, that's the conventional wisdom, but but it's not really so, even though the word policy makes it a little little uh, vague. Large firms and very small firms, you know, 1 to 20, 50, 75, something like that, um, have open-door policies, though, or open-door mentalities, but for fundamentally different reasons. It's it's mid-sized firms, perhaps a a couple hundred employees struggling with the whole rule of 150 uh, that don't, and here's why. Small firms do because the founder or owner has probably hired everybody, um, and the easiest model to adapt to this new people thing that requires structure is, is family. The, the model that so many small companies have, well, you know, welcome to our family. And, and at, of course, at small firms, it, it often is family that works there. There's not that much distance between the top and the bottom. Uh, the entrepreneur, founder, owner generally says to everyone, hey, come see me if there's ever any problem, particularly if you've hired them, right? Um, is there anything we need to talk about? Just come on and see me. My door is always open. You know, that's a form of open door, even if maybe it's not a policy and it's not written down. Um, the shadow of the, the founder, owner, slash CEO simply overpowers everyone else at times. But, but 
Big firms, on the other hand, have formalized policies. Uh, they're probably drafted or approved by lawyers in HR, um, designed to present, prevent a lawsuit um, by a disgruntled employee uh, who was abused or, or mistreated or discriminated against or just plain managed poorly, um, quite frankly, by a boss who is clever enough to keep it off everybody's radar. And so the policies exist to protect um, folks. I- imagine what it would say to an employee who was told, we care about you, and then had no recourse for when, and let's be honest, when the company aired, hired an abusive or unethical manager, um, and then worse, imagine what that would do long-term to retention and productivity. Uh, if there was not a an open-door policy in place, your manager could have a great deal more control and power than the organization ever intended. Um, so it's those mid-sized firms in the throes of that rule of 150 misery that have gotten too big for the personal touch of the founder um, but haven't, haven't completely caught on to the need for systems to propagate the culture. Those are the ones that sometimes get caught. Um, too big to be personal, too small to have policies. Yeah. Well, you know, my experience has been that you know, open-door policies are absolutely necessary. And I know of lots of, you know, experience in my past where, you know, a director or VP heard something that if it were true, and, I mean, if it were true, I'll come back to that in a second, right. it okay. would be so serious that it would justify that person just dropping everything and taking immediate action. But, but the if-true piece is the important part. You know, too many managers yeah. think that the purpose of an open-door policy is to have anyone in the chain of ma- command come in, you know, dump something on their desk, and create the need for immediate action. Immediately action. Yeah, on. I think you're right. And, yeah. and that is, to use a, a horseman phrase, galactically stupid in my, <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion. You know, it's, you know, too often is a case that there was something that came to, to my attention that was truly accurate, but it was wrapped in a bunch of stuff, you know, and, you know, angst, emotion, misunderstandings, you know, retribution in, in, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. And a little bit of career angst or fear it wasn't a lie, but the version I got, you know, was different enough from the manager's reality that acting on it would have just been wrong. Right. Yeah. You, you, yeah. It's the whole separation of the hearing from the acting. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and look, you you just summed up our cast for today. <laughs> I mean, you're right. the The whole decoupling of the policy from action. Um, at least immediate action by the recipient of the request is is a critical point we make. Um, it, it is, I would argue that it fundamentally changes the culture by saying we have an open door policy. You know, there's a great story about um, the, the British um, Navy during the Falkland Islands crisis was 20, 30 years ago, um, where, where um, the British subservice um, is considered the, the greatest, if not one of the, one, one of the greatest, if not the greatest subservice in the world, no offense to U.S. Navy nukes. Um, and and uh, essentially a, a um, uh, press conference was held so that an admiral, the chief of the uh, British subservice, um, 
was able to say to the public when a reporter asked the planted question, can you confirm or deny that there are, that there are British subs in the area of the Falklands? Uh, and the answer was, <laughs> this admiral said, we uh, never speak about the location of our submarines, which kept just that failure to commit kept the entire um, Argentine Navy <laughs> in port. Um, and they never commented about whether there was a sub there or not. Um, same thing here. The fact that you talk about, I have an open door policy, I believe fundamentally changes things. Um, and the mistake that young managers make is, oh my gosh, I, you know, if somebody, you know, if I'm a new director and somebody comes to me, I'm, I'm supposed to go do something. N- not necessarily so. Okay. Well, given that I just about gave away the entire cast, maybe I did. No. <laughs> no. Go. Um, uh, look, this is great. I, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, okay, he's going to do the cast. I, I'm. Uh, you be the talking head this time. I have a margarita here. I have the notebook. I have Garth Brooks um, in the background. If I could go outside, in fact, can I can I go outside while you do this? Uh, um, I'll, I'll put on my Oakleys. I'll put on Tommy Bahama flip-flops. Um, I'll put them up on the bench. Uh, uh, you know, I can get very used to this new format. <laughs> if you do the technical stuff and you do the casts, uh, this could actually be my dream job. And then if you could do the travel, too, um, okay. you actually would be the perfect partner. Okay, well, <laughs> I, think, I think we'd lose uh, a good bit of our audience if that were to be the case. So uh, I, will, I will let you... Uh, I will let you go on. Okay. Um, If I didn't love this stuff so much. Um, We don't have steps this time, but we do have seven and a half key points to remember. First, you need a clear definition of the open door. Then we need to be clear that your door is always open to everyone. Second or third is always means always. And there are three caveats to that. And then we also have a trump card that's important that you make clear to people. Uh, number four, this is a huge mistake that young managers make, and this, has, this is not always related to, to uh, open door, but it's true. No conversation with you is ever off the record, ever. Your first job, number five, your first job is to listen. We have some suggestions on the meeting itself. Uh, your second job is to engage the chain of command effectively. And then uh, last is to follow up. And, and, and the the... Some suggestions on the meeting itself are the half that, that suggestion. Have we know that people want to know exactly what to say. So, Good. All right. Well, then let's do it our normal way, and let's uh, go over them point by point. So the, first, okay. so the first one's pretty simple, right? A clear definition of the open door policy. I mean, isn't that embedded in some corporate document already? No. Nah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I've actually seen corporate policies that say we have an open door policy, but it doesn't. It's not clear what what that means. There's an assumption. It's like if you look in dictionary under open door, it'll probably say open door, um, because nobody really seems to take the time to to get it right. Um, so we have a definition, and and uh, our definition in practice is that the organization knows that at any time. They can come to you to professionally discuss anything about the company and its operations with special attention to management practices, and you knowing that you have a professional obligation to honor that request. Um, Now, I I think it's important to note that our model suggests that you do not have an open-door policy if you believe that you do, but nobody else knows it, or if you get requests that you don't honor 
That's why the definition here says the organization knowing. That's my point earlier about the kind of lame uh, Falkland Island story. Um, they have to know. You, you actually have to publish this or communicate it. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I, if you don't, if you think you have one but you don't tell anybody, you really don't actually have a policy. Um, people need to know. That's what makes it a policy. Further, um, even though it's not a, a lettered key point, I, I'm not going to assume that everyone gets the obvious. And, and so I'll just make it clear here that we, ha we haven't actually said this yet, Mike, but you cannot be a professional manager, I don't think, in today's world and not have an open-door policy. Or put in the positive, if, if you wish to be a professional manager, a, re a requirement thereof is to have an open-door policy. Now, look, there are those people out there who will tell you that the, that open-door policies undermine the chain of command. And I can understand that rationale. You know, you should go through your chain of command. But they're wrong. Look, if you use it poorly, if you abuse it, if you always overrule your managers when any whiner comes to your office, they won't appear effective. Um, but this is the same argument as annual reviews being abolished. I just love that argument. It's just so dumb. Um, just because somebody does a crappy job at something doesn't mean the job itself is wrong or bad. Um, yeah, we do a crummy job on annual reviews. We do. That doesn't mean the concept of annual reviews don't work. In fact, as I, I think I've said before, annual reviews aren't broken because the annual review process stinks. Annual reviews are broken because managers aren't doing their job throughout the right, year. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so, um, as we mentioned earlier, there, there is no way you can guarantee that every manager will act with the best of intentions. You yourself, or, or someone else for that matter, may have hired the wrong person, and they may have committed a dangerous error or verbally abused or threatened someone or created a culture, a microculture, if you will, that is unprofessional or unethical or against corporate values. Um, if there is no open-door policy, you may be party to subjecting people in your organization to something legally dangerous um, if it's not enough that it's just ethically repugnant. Um, so note further that our definition of an open-door policy doesn't say you need to take any action to honor their request. Simply hearing them may be enough, as we alluded to before, and we're going to talk about that more uh, in the next step. Okay. The, the next point I want to make is my door is always open to anyone. You know, always and anyone? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the three key words are my, always, and anyone. Um, now, look, first, though, this point is here to amplify our definition above in that you must communicate the policy to everyone in your organization. Even though your door is technically open to anyone, anyone in the company, you wouldn't take the step of communicating your policy outside of your directs and their directs and so on. If you're a frontline manager, this means communicating it simply to everyone on your team. Okay. So, so you're okay. So you're not sending out a broad. You're only communicating. No. To your team. You're not sending a broad email out to everybody in the organization saying, "Hey." Yes. Thank you. You know. Ooh. Yes. Thank you for correcting that potential misunderstanding. Um, yeah. Exactly right. Um, but that's not to say it's. That's not to say you won't see anyone from outside your organization. Is that the subtle difference we're talking about here? Yeah, exactly. You communicate it to your own organization. You rely on your organization to, to share it around. But yeah, absolutely, if somebody comes to you from somewhere else, you, you're essentially establishing the fact that you are, in some fashion, in a small way, and as you get higher, in a larger way, the organization. Um, and, and so your door is open. If somebody believes there's a problem in the organization, you want to know about it. Think about what the opposite of an open-door policy is. It's a closed-door policy, which means 
if you come see me, I won't see you. Um, if you're in another area and you need to talk to somebody, um, I, I think that just sends a chilling message about communication. Right. And uh, Horseman's First Law, it's all about people. But the second is more communication is better. Now, your point about speaking for, you know, you're the manager, you're speaking for the organization. But I think you're suggesting that when you communicate your open door policy, you're, you're communicating that your open door policy, you're not communicating a broader open door policy for the organization, particularly, for example, yes. your boss, right? You can't speak for yeah, your boss. Yeah, sure. Oh, another great point. Thank you. No, absolutely. You're right. That you, you, um, uh, you speak for yourself. Um, you cannot create a corporate open door policy by doing it yourself. You can be the only person. You could tell your team, look, I have an open door. You know, you don't have to go and tell them to tell their friends. Um, but my door's open and you can come talk to me about anything that's professional or related to the company. Um, you can't make your boss have an open door policy for your directs to go to her if she doesn't want to have one. Um, and look, I, I hate to say it, but that does happen. And if it happens, tell them to go to HR if they've got a problem with you, that HR does have an open door policy. Um, it's certainly reasonable for you to ask your boss if she has one. Um, and you can mention that to folks, but how she implements barring any official policy is her call. Um, it may be different than yours even if yours is better because you've heard it on manager tools. Um, it also means, though it's not really made obvious, that if someone comes to you from another org, your door being open doesn't mean that their boss's door is therefore open as well in the sense of being willing to listen. And someone coming to you from somewhere else in the organization is what that anyone means. You can't communicate it, but like as we've alluded to, your team will make, a, make you available to somebody if they hear of something untoward or unethical or unprofessional or something that the organization ought to know about. Okay, and what's um, the manager tool's definition of always? That would be <laughs> always. We try to use short, simple words when we can. Okay. It means what we say it does. We say okay, it does. But, no, no, look, um, we have a sample email to send out um, that, we, that we'll, we'll read at the bottom of the cast and we'll post. Um, we, we also recommend you follow up with a brief discussion. And, and one more point about always. We're going to, in the next point, of course, we're going to talk about what always means and, and the caveats and so on. Um, but beyond just the email that we're going to recommend you send out, we also recommend you follow up with a brief discussion at a weekly staff meeting that you then cover it again in your one on ones with each person. Make sure you look them in the eye and say, make sure they, make sure, do you understand what we're talking about? And then cover it at the first of several of your skip levels if you have them to make sure the word gets out. Horseman's ninth law is tell your organization something seven times and half of your people will tell you they've heard it once. Yeah, that's true. Talking about always, um, I mean, is it always and is it immediate? Because for, for example, I mean, what if I'm having dinner with my family or I'm in a baseball game or are there, are there times when always doesn't mean like right now? Here's the best always story I've ever heard. A Walmart employee, this happened several years ago, a Walmart employee in the Palestine, Texas distribution center was fired a number of years ago, and he felt he'd been wronged. He was scared, and he used the open-door policy to call David Glass, then the CEO of Walmart. It was after hours, and Mr. Glass, he thought, might be at home, so he called the Glass's home in Bentonville, Arkansas, and Mrs. Glass answered the phone. Oh, my God. 
He told her who he was, that he wanted to talk to the CEO. It was an open-door request. And Mrs. Glass said, I'm sorry, Mr. Glass was traveling to a store opening in New York. I think it was New York, Buffalo, Rochester, like that. And she gave this employee the number to his hotel room. The guy called and talked to Dave Glass that night. Wow. That is an open-door policy. Now, now, what's important about that, I think, is not just the, the urgency in the sense of always, um, but also the fact that the story ends there when it comes to open door because we don't know whether Dave Glass overturned his firing or just said, no, I'm sorry, or, or did anything. The open door policy is not about the action after the fact. That's a case-by-case decision. Um, but the story ends there because that's what open door is. The door is open for you to talk. That, to me, is a great example of always. Okay, but we did say we had some caveats. Um, um, and, and they're not really part of the policy per se. We see, these impl- we see this as implementation recommendations for you rather than as part of the policy. For, the first caveat is respect my family. What that, means if you're, it, 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 what that means is that if you're with your family at dinner, it's entirely reasonable for you to call someone back in 45 minutes when you're finished. If you're at a ball game, explain where you are, ask if you can speak again in two to three hours. Yes, this can always be overruled if they, if they insist there's imminent danger to someone or something. But quite frankly, I found that's about as rare as a fire in your plant. Um, if there's a fire in your plant, you're going to leave the ball game. But that doesn't mean you don't ever go to a ball game on the fear that there might be a plant fire. Um, by the same token, you're entitled to time with your family, and an employee can be politely asked to wait, um, and it, it's okay for you to get a sense of whether or not they'd be willing to wait, or if they're not willing to wait, for you to hear a little bit about what's going on before you make a decision about when you're going to action it. So that, that gets us to number two. Now is not. We say now, but, but some managers mistakenly believe that always means now, and now is not always necessary. Sure, it happens sometimes. The manager must hear something immediately, per, per our earlier comment, but it's rare. It's entirely reasonable that you ask the requester to come back, and you don't have to be at home for this, um, based on what you have on your schedule. Now, look, this, this is a delicate area. Um, you have to judge the person, their propensity for such things, their trustworthiness, whether or not they're always shouting fire, whether they're always saying the sky is falling. Um, but it is not required in every situation that you stop what you're doing to have the meeting. Um, And there's a further issue with now here. Um, The problem is that too many managers think that having an open-door policy means that getting an open-door knock puts everything else on hold until the issue was brought up and resolved. And this may be one of the underlying most important things we say in the cast. Um, But having an open-door policy means only being available and hearing somebody out. It implies, as we've alluded to, no actions will occur and certainly no time frame related thereto. The open door only makes the meeting possible. Uh, All actions after the fact are a separate set of behaviors based on your judgment, Hmm. period. And so at that point, you're you're not – once it's been brought up and you've had the conversation, then you're no longer executing on open door policy. 
you're simply being a manager at that point, right? Exactly. That's a great way to – yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you alluded to this. I, I, I've seen young people go to managers under the auspices of an open door and be stunned that the manager didn't take immediate action. Pete, there are zealots in your organization right now who believe that your purpose is to become their puppet or pawn when they use open door. And look, this is just youthful naivete combined probably with some moralistic zeal over a personnel problem. <laughs> yeah. Hearing something and acting on it are two different things. I often think that this is one of the problems with politicians. Um, they, th- they, they equate listening with action. Um, and sometimes reason should intercede between the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, for the sake of keeping these podcasts to a reasonable size, let's stop there. We'll finish up this subject in next week's show. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. So long.